And now, Box 39 Red Button is handing over its slot to one of its stablemate programs. This is Bill's Big Bag of Only Onions. Such a thing, after all, had not happened in living memory, nor even in the few records that still remained. She was a genetic throwback, a chance in millions, a freak of nature, one might say. But to her parents, she would never be a freak, and they would call her one of the old names. She would be called Charlotte, and they would love her as they would love any child, of course they would, despite her pure white skin and her beautiful blue eyes. When she was feeling sad, she was a sombre shade of blue. When she was angry, she was deep red. And when she was happy and light of spirit, she was bright yellow. Black was for when she was having her darkest moments, and purple was for mellow, gentle times. Green was for days when she walked in the woods, and pink was an expression of her femininity when she was feeling particularly feminine. Every morning when she woke up she was white, which was no colour, and every morning she wondered how many colours life would paint her today. Approximately 4,500 million years ago, the Earth was formed, and about 500 million years later came the first single-celled life. 500 million years after that, give or take, 
atmospheric oxygen became present in sufficient quantity to sustain advanced life forms. And so began an evolutionary process from the Cambrian explosion about 500 million years ago through to the extinction of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago and the eventual rise of the apes. 50,000 years ago, anatomically modern man left Africa and Ronald now lives in Neesden and yesterday he went shopping and bought himself a pair of trousers. Hanu and Awandea sat upon a grassy knoll. Behind them, the vast and empty wilderness as far as the eye could see, and in front of them, the ocean. Their two children, Chaska and Nayeli, a boy and a girl, who had been born on the same morning and were in their eighth summer, played naked together in the surf, laughing and splashing one another. Neither had seen the ocean before, and so the family had walked alone for a day to a place which would one day be called Malibu Beach. But as yet, this empty place had no name. Ronald was sitting at the kitchen table, eating his trifle when the three armed, masked gunmen stormed into the house. One of them held a gun to his head as they tied his wife to the kitchen chair and gagged her and insisted he reveal the location of his safe and the combination to open it. One man stayed whilst the others ran upstairs and a few minutes later they left with whatever of his possessions they could carry. As soon as he had finished his trifle, Ronald went immediately to release his wife and see what had been stolen. William was in the dentist's chair, root canal treatment, and he couldn't feel a thing on the right side of his mouth. He had just received some news which was of such significance that he hadn't the least idea how to respond to it. It was something which questioned his hitherto held beliefs at a fundamental level, and his emotions seemed to have gone into neutral. On the way home, he tried again, but he couldn't get there. All he could do, he supposed, was wait until the numbness wore off and hope that there wouldn't be too much pain.
something was troubling Malcolm. He had awoken to a letter from his wife, telling him that she was leaving him. And on the way to work, his car was written off in a multiple pile-up on the motorway. At lunchtime, Kylie from Credit Control informed him that she was pregnant with his child after the work's Christmas party. And on the way home, he was set upon by robbers and his wallet and credit cards were stolen. Then, in the evening, it finally dawned upon him what had been bothering him. All day long, he'd been thinking it was Thursday. Eric's blind date had a reputation as a ball-breaker, a feminist with high feminist ideals. And as he waited, he prepared himself for dungarees and sensible shoes, and to look beyond mere superficial physical appearance to the person which lay beyond. When she appeared, she was utterly stunning, wearing high heels and a skirt which barely justified the description. Hi, I'm Ellen. You must be Eric. A voice which could melt ice from 50 paces. And Eric decided that looking beyond mere superficial physical appearance to the person which lay beyond was going to be harder than he thought. sat on the bus watching a perfect world go by. He had left her last night, a smile and a goodnight kiss, and a lifetime lived in a moment. It would only be their second meeting, but his soul was doing somersaults at the thought of her waiting for him at the other end of this so particular journey, and his young body reacted in a way quite inappropriate sitting on a bus. Only love, he supposed, could do this. And so he supposed that he must be in love. And from now on, this would be everything. There they live in my head. The Lord and Lady, Keith and Meadow, Percival, Rebecca, Victoria, and all the rest of them waiting. They've done 13 books now, lived through love, loss, danger, pain, the whole gamut of human life, and you'd think they'd have had enough. 
but of course they want life again. And not a day goes by that they don't remind me. Look, I'm taking a break, okay? Don't forget where you came from. You're only in my imagination. And it's up to me. I control this, not you. And do they listen? The hell they do. She only came in the dead of winter, when the nights were long and the rain lashed hard against the window panes. Thomas lived alone and often wrote long into the night. Sometimes it was just a feeling, a sense that she was there. Or sometimes he fancied that he heard her voice against the wind which blew through the eaves of the old house. Only once had he seen her, dressed in her Edwardian splendor. For an instant she had stood before him, and then he blinked, and she was gone, like the wind in the cold dark night. Big bag of only onions. Rather to his surprise, Terence awoke one morning to find that he was an insurance broker. 
Instead of his usual casual attire, he ironed a crisp white shirt, shone his only pair of decent shoes, and donned suit and tie, which he had not worn since his wedding day. He kissed his wife goodbye, who expressed her surprise, but there was no time to explain. If he hurried, he could catch the 745 service to the city. Terence knew not the least thing about insurance brokerage, nor where he was going, but all he hoped would become clear soon enough. Roland was sitting on the sedimentary rocks overlooking the coastline, eating a cheese sandwich. His boots rested on the Cretaceous period, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Just behind his knees was a thin layer of different coloured rock, only an inch or so deep, laid down when an asteroid struck near the Gulf of Mexico 65 million years ago. Roland was sitting on the Tertiary period, the age of mammals, the warm-blooded survivors of the catastrophic event. From whence would come the first apes? Without the asteroid, Roland's cheese sandwich would never have existed. And nor, indeed, would Roland. deep across a swiftly flowing underground river, the only light by helmet lamps, thence to a steep rock face, thick and wet with bat guano, and we arrived filthy at the final stage of our subterranean journey. The last obstacle, swimming through deep still water under an overhang with just enough space to breathe. Finally, out into the beautiful tropical day, a hidden valley where we bathed and drank in the clear fresh water. The only way out was the way we had come in. But here, for the briefest time, we had surely found paradise on earth. The Japanese assistant smiles warmly as we enter the chemists. Do you have bubble bath? She gives an uncomprehending look. So we try mime. A bath shape, then we try to imitate bubbling water, which makes her laugh, but she doesn't get it. And by now we have a small crowd. Frowns all round, and then she understands. Ah, bubble bath! Nods and smiles from everyone, and then her brow furrows. Sorry. No have, which gets us all going again, so no bubble bath. But the experience was worth so much more. Another charming encounter in this so charming country.
a year of deep and everlasting friendship and of first and forever love. In a decade of free thought, Pink Floyd, blue denims and patchouli oil, in which we loved and laughed our way through good days and bad days. That world has all but gone now, subsumed beneath a time of money, greed and, in the end, futile and pointless ambition, where the devils take the hindmost. But they were too late. The devil didn't get me, and somewhere in the deepest part of my soul, in the only place that really matters, I'm still living my 17th year. We sat beside the river, chipping at the small piece of opaque honey-coloured stone until it had a good edge and fit well in his hand. He had a deer's skin. One hundred thousand years and more later, they would have given his kind a name who were no more. Homo erectus, upright man, a now extinct hominid, and they will have called his home Java. The piece of stone now sits on my bedside table. It fits well in my hand. I will never know him, of course, but I can imagine him, my so distant relative. You are listening to... Bill's Big Bag of Only Onions. One day, a duck had appeared on the village green. It was a male duck, and Reginald had taken it upon himself to catch the duck and take it to the lake in a cardboard box. A week later, he had carried out a dawn raid on the next village and captured a female duck, which he had brought home on the first bus and put in his bathtub to make it feel at home. And now there were ducklings on the lake and Reginald could not but feel a deep sense of satisfaction. Ducks, after all, belonged to nobody. New Year's Day on a Thai river trip, deep in the heart of this so spiritual country. And at dawn we take our offerings to the temple by the riverside. The aroma of incense pervades the room as we remove our shoes and enter the sacred place and sit cross-legged before the young saffron-robed monk who says blessings for us as we bow our heads in grateful acceptance. Blessing over, he accepts our gifts of rice and exotic foods, thanks us for our offerings, 
asks us if we have any cigarettes, which sort of broke uh, the moment somewhat. There was too much sediment, that was the problem. Too much life had been lived, layer upon layer of experience and memory, laid down like soft sand in a shallow sea, until he had all but forgotten her. But then, when he saw her again, when the earthquake happened, and his world was split asunder, there was their love again, exposed to the cold light of here and now, and there it lay, a perfectly preserved impression of something long dead which could never again be awoken. All that he could do was to walk away and leave her again. Ian had walked alone for many suns since the rest of her tribe had fallen to the sickness. She had eaten only berries and shoots, and was weak when they found her. They looked and spoke differently from her people, but they were kind to her, and so she stayed with them for two summers. When her child was due, she walked alone into the forest and never returned to the safety of the settlement. Her own kin would in the end prevail, but the legacy of her ordeal would remain. We are many of us, after all, part Neanderthal. The kiosk attendant glanced at him through the wire mesh as he handed over the ticket. Welcome back. Yeah, think I left my wallet in the cafeteria yesterday. The kiosk attendant nodded, somewhat enigmatically, and for a moment their eyes met. Free entry today. Free entry for you every day. What? Never mind. See you tomorrow. Adam did not understand the last statement, but let it be, and went in search of his wallet. Back at the hotel later, he cursed silently under his breath. He had left his wallet probably in the cafeteria. He would go back for it tomorrow. Cause you keep coming back, coming back for more. And I am losing track, losing track of all the times. Because we're stuck in a loop, you and I. Yeah, we're stuck in a loop, you and I. Okay, 
get ready. Steal yourself. Look. Now. None of them were as much as glancing in his direction. This had to stop. It had been happening too often lately. He had to give up smoking that stuff. Human skulls hang from the low ceiling. Women and children, the most valued, the most difficult to catch and to kill. Two days by motor canoe upriver, through dense rainforest, finally to the longhouse and the beautiful Iban people, who greet the white-skinned strangers. Do not kill the white-skinned people, they have no soul. At night, there is no light save that from incense burners at intervals along the timber walls. Games played with beads and string, outside the tropical deluge. Such perfect moments are rare in a life, and must always be remembered and always treasured. Listening to Cone Radio 106.6 FM, and this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. was off a good length and lifting. He played his hook shot, which had six written all over it from the moment it left the bat. Over the flailing hand of square leg, there was no deep square leg, so the ball sailed majestically over the boundary and hit his wife square on the back of the head as she leaned over the tea urn. She roundly berated him at the tea interval and had a bump for two days. He must have played the shot a hundred times since, but never came close to doing it again. awoke on the day of his new project. He was optimistic, but he knew that he should not count his chickens by its cover, and that one swallow did not make an omelette. He had worked hard on the scheme, but Rome wasn't built for a penny, and he hoped that he was not trying to make a silk purse out of spilt milk. The road to hell, after all, is paved with a pig's ear. Ronald smiled at his deep knowledge of metaphor and got out of bed. A bird in the hand, he knew, waited for no man.
To this day, she had no idea why she did it. From which deep primeval part of her female self had come the moment of spontaneity, for certainly she hadn't planned it. Sure, she'd just broken up with Rod, but it was no big deal. She wasn't angry or even particularly upset. But still, the desire and resentment, the yearning and the wish not to yearn, had met in one place, and she had walked from the counter with her lemon juice, poured it over the head of the first and nearest male, and walked calmly out of the cafe. often, if the weather was nice, Albert took his lunchtime sandwiches and thermos flask to the park, where he often shared a bench with a pretty young lady called Emily. After so many years and so many occasional meetings, they'd become close friends. He knew most things about her life, and he felt that he could talk to her about anything. Emily was a good listener. Sharon walked through the park every day on her way to the afternoon shift at the glue factory. The old man was there again, sitting on his bench, talking to himself as usual. Ever since he could remember, Frank's last task before they retired for the night was walking the short hallway to the front door and putting two empty milk bottles outside. If he was honest with himself, since Iris had passed away, he didn't need two pints a day. But he could not put only one bottle out. That would be a moment of sadness each evening, and there is only so much sadness that a soul can bear. And sometimes, for that moment, he could believe that she was still inside, waiting for him in the old empty armchair. On the train, George had been reading about some ancient Japanese tea ceremony, which celebrated the flawed and the imperfect. He'd had a bad day at work, and had made a stupid error which would cost the company money. And when he'd got home, he argued over some petty thing with Angela, who now wasn't talking to him. He'd have to apologize for that one. Yep, all in all, it had been a bad day. So far, he set the kettle to boil and ceremoniously put a tea bag in a cup. Well, if it was good enough for the Japanese. Reginald was feeling a bit down in the dumps. 
and had heard of something called retail therapy, whereby people apparently felt better when they went shopping. He didn't need anything, but decided to give it a try anyway. Three hours later, he returned home with 10 teaspoons, an ashtray, a garden fork and six tennis balls. He already had teaspoons in more than sufficient quantity, had no garden and didn't smoke or play tennis. He quickly concluded that he felt no better for the owning of his newly purchased goods and decided that the benefits of shopping were somewhat overstated. Box 39 investigates. That's right, the Box 39 investigates team looks into how local schools have given up warning our children about split infinitives and dangling modifiers. Box 39 will expose the grammatical cowardice that is undermining our mother tongue with linguistic permissiveness and pervasive sloppiness as teachers simply lose control. Coming soon on Cone Radio. Box 39, the music and magazine show, uh, s- uh, Thursdays at 8, uh, Saturdays at 2. sitting on a park bench when the woman approached. She was ten kinds of attractive and as she approached David smiled and the smile was returned which emboldened him to speak. Hi, nice day for a walk. Yes it is. She slowed her pace and now she stopped beside him. I'm David. The woman smiled demurely. I'm Olivia. Look, I don't usually speak to people like this but How would it be if I bought you a coffee or something? That would be nice. Thank you. By the time the conversation was over, she was out of sight. Arnold could usually finish the cryptic crossword before he reached his station, but this morning he was stumped. Two words, four and six, alcohol for nothing. As the train pulled in, he could see his office block from the seat, as always, but this morning he stayed seated while others alighted from the train. The answer was on the tip of his mind, and for some reason it seemed important. An hour later he was sitting on a bench overlooking the sea and drinking takeaway coffee when the answer came to him. Of course, it was obvious. Free spirit.
Bill's big bag of onions. then do you put it all? All the bad stuff that you've done in a lifetime, forgiven now by the grace of others, but it can't be forgotten. You can consign it to history or file it under bad things that I've done, but it never really goes away. You can't erase it or record over it. Life doesn't work that way. I suppose the best one can say is that we are all that we've done and that we live and learn. That's the easy part. The hard part about it is learning how to forgive yourself. So what's the meaning of life then? Daniel was 13 years old and speaking to his father whilst they washed the dishes together. Well, everything that we do has meaning. Even washing the dishes? Well, yes. All that means is clean dishes. Well, clean dishes are important. Are they as important as God? Well, no, if you believe in God. So, it's more important to pray than wash the dishes then? Or is it the other way round? They're different things. You can't really compare God and dishes. Well, at least we know dishes exist, right? Yes, that's true, I suppose. One day, Malcolm woke up with the human condition. He took a couple of aspirin, but by lunchtime he was still feeling decidedly queer. Symptoms ranged from extreme sadness at all of the hatred in the world, the destruction of the forests and reduction in biodiversity, to a severe attack of wonder at the natural world around him and all of humankind's achievements 
If he was honest, he'd had this for a while. Other people he'd spoken to seemed to suffer from it. So Malcolm supposed that he'd just have to learn to live with it, being human at all. to the ladies' room with her best friend. You're in there, then. He's a creep. Oh, I don't know. He's not bad-looking. Well, you have him, then. I don't want him. Nor do I. Back at the table, Linda spoke. So, Em, what time is your Scientology meeting in the morning? What? The young gentleman left for the bar and did not return. That worked then. Bugger off, now I'm going to get a reputation. Thanks a lot. I thought you wanted rid of him. I did. I quite like his friend, though. He's mine. Hands off. Reginald was walking past the tinned pilchards when the angel appeared, hovering somewhere between the luncheon meat and the reduced goods to clear. Her golden radiance shone out, and an aura of peace was all about her, her wings casting bright light onto the sandwich spread. She did not speak, but she smiled at Reginald, and such a sense of well-being filled him that he forgot entirely about his shopping. After she had gone, he abandoned his half-filled shopping trolley in the aisle and left the store. It is not every day, after all, that one sees an angel. If you are looking for a radio show that's a magazine of conversation, music, humor, and local interest stories, possibly listened to by billions of people, then don't miss Box 39 every Thursday at 8 p.m. here on Cone Radio. The young man named Adam was walking naked through the forest when he came upon the only other person and they stopped to talk. Hi Eve. Oh hello. What's that then? She was carrying something in her hand which she now showed to him. I think it's called an apple. An apple? What does that do? I don't think it does anything. 
I think you're supposed to eat it, actually. Is it nice? I don't know. I've not tried it. Would you like to? Adam thought for a moment. No, thanks. I'm not hungry. Nature is full of false starts. Quentin awoke, kind of, and tried first focused while reaching for a half-drunk cup of coffee left from the night before. Okay, so what day was it? Tuesday. What kind of a day was Tuesday? Mondays are bad. That's what defines them. You know where you are with Mondays, at least. And Wednesdays are kind of midweek, and you can start looking forward. But what was the point of Tuesdays? Just filling in time. Nothing to feel or react to, just another day, without form or reason. Still, Tuesdays had to be done, so best get it over with, then. Her name had been Rose, and she had been a working girl before she had met and married the Lord-in-waiting, and before she had died, bearing his child. She had had her portrait painted, secretly. She was seated on a chair, naked, save for a satin cloth, which in part covered one breast, and cascaded around her loins and onto the floor. One hand held the cloth, as if about to further reveal her beauty, or cover her modesty. And thus will she now be forever, the sacred, eternally mysterious feminine, and no man will touch her again. Welcome to the world of global digital retail, a world of possibilities into which one is born every minute. Welcome to the world of Lord David Price.
Whether it be underprivileged Nigerians working in call centres in Lagos or Polish food cosmeticians turning plain fish into Scottish salmon in Warsaw or Price University's research bolstering China's claim to the South China Sea, behind it all is global digital retail. Behind it all is one man's vision. As Lord David says, if there are people out there so desperate to fulfill their dreams, then there are opportunities aplenty to assure those people that their dreams will come true. Through innovation and fabrication, literally anything is possible. Any aspiration can be turned into income. Any amount of wealth can be transferred to new ownership. There is no high bar. There is no low bar. There is just global digital retail. Who is behind the redirection of Turkish water away from Palestinian land and into Israeli settlements? Who turned farmland in Hungary, Indonesia over to agro-business so it can grow coffee beans for export to the developed world? Who turned the South American rainforests into toilet paper for the Japanese? Who turned Cone Radio into a conduit for converting so many ill-gotten gains into simply gotten gains? Remember this, in a world of scandal, corruption and fraud, there is but one constant, and that is Lord David Price and Global Digital Retail. George had had a happy childhood. He and his three siblings had shared one room in their small house, and they had seldom gone hungry during those years. He had done well, better indeed than his brother and sisters, who envied him, he knew that. And now he sat on the small balcony of his apartment on the Costa del Sol, with its shared swimming pool and gymnasium, and direct access to the shopping mall. So all that he had to do now was to wait for the happiness to come back, which was surely just a matter of time. Lynn knew she shouldn't complain. Theirs was the most expensive model of house on the estate, and Ron earned good money. The kids thing hadn't worked out. Ron was away so much and always tired when he got home. She glanced outside. Paul came once a month to trim the hedges. Paul had a pickup truck, work-hardened muscles, and a tan to die for. And she closed her eyes. She was up against the washing machine midway through the rinse cycle, feeling like she used to feel. She took another Valium and walked to the door. Hi, Paul. Coffee? 
Will didn't get it. Last night at the party, M's best friend had been all over him. She couldn't have made it more obvious. It was the clearest, here I am, come and get me, that he had ever seen. Now, if some bloke had tried it on with Emily, he would have been told to stop. And if he had persisted, Will would have beaten the crap out of him. It was that easy. And yet, the next morning, there they were, Emily and Sandra, acting like nothing had happened. Probably, Will decided, he would never understand women. Stapler? What? I can't find my bloody stapler. What are you doing? I'm stapling some papers together. Oh well, you'll need a stapler for that then. I mean, I don't mind you borrowing things, just put them back, will you? What does it look like? It looks like a stapler. Like the one about two feet from your right elbow? Oh, well, it wasn't there a minute ago. Yes, well, I expect it flew in through the window when we weren't looking. Sorry. Anyway, dear heart, I have my own stapler. Don't work too late, will you? You have been listening to Bill's Big Bag of Only Onions. Only Onions is a guppy production for Colne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. Oh yes, right, I almost forgot. Those onions were written by Bill Faust, Sally Wazy, Miniardo, Samburu, and of course, Phil Post. Could you hear that motorbike? Shall I do it again?